crazy world we live in, when people use the word geek, it can create certain impressions. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream. Let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype. I'm your super dummy Paul. This is Geek. My name is Neil Bagg. I am the uh, co-host and editor of a podcast and website called Get Your Comic Con. Uh, website is www.getyourcomiccon.co.uk. We are a fortnightly-ish, depending on the mood, podcast, which is available on all major platforms. We talk about comic books, we talk about movies, we talk about TV, trying to talk a little bit more about gaming. Uh, I just like to talk about geek stuff. I just love talking about Everything that I love to watch, everything that I love to read, uh, that that's that's me, really, in a nutshell. I am quite, I'm pretty much exactly what it says on the tin. So the website started what will be uh, nine years ago, I reckon. So uh, my co-host Martin and I are, are, are married. We will have been married for ten years next year. Yeah, so ten years next year, which means it will be uh, nine years this year. So eight years of the website. Basically, we so we got married in 2012 and then that was November the 10th and we took our honeymoon the following July we went to San Diego so we went to San Diego or we we booked a holiday to San Diego for our honeymoon with the on the proviso that we were going to go to Comic-Con we were like yes we're going to go we've never been we really want to uh, book a holiday well in advance like you normally do when you want to get a fairly cheap deal for a very expensive holiday long before the tickets for San Diego Comic-Con go on sale Tickets for San Diego Comic-Con go on sale. We do not get them. We have a lovely 10-day holiday in San Diego, enjoying the zoo and the Sea Life Centre, and the people out there are, are lovely as well. The food is great, the people are great. The city is, is lovely. I honestly could retire there quite happily. Uh, but as far as uh, Comic-Con goes, we stood outside the doors and looked through at the, the magical, wonderful world that was inside the San Diego Convention Centre. So we got back... So I think the way San Diego Comic-Con works, it tends to either be fairly early in the month or it lands on my birthday. And that year it had been slightly earlier in the month. Uh, So we got back, uh, so my birthday's the 26th of July and we were out for drinks with some friends down on the South Bank here in London. And we were just talking about the holiday and what we'd seen. Because basically if you look through the door of the convention centre in the right spot, you can see from the lobby into the main convention hall and you can actually get a glimpse of like, I mean, it's amazing. I have been three times since, and it is amazing inside. Uh, so we were just kind of talking about that. And one of my friends said, why the hell do you not just start a, a blog or a website or something where you talk about this stuff? Because you, I mean, I literally, I have been reading comic books since I was five or six, I think. And I'm, I'm relatively sure my first word may have been Batman as a child. <laughs> so it's kind of ingrained in in who I am right back to, to when I was really young. So it was like, just just do it and see if you can get yourself into one of these things for free just by talking about this stuff. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Of course I can. We can totally do that. More drinks, obviously. Happy birthday to me. Uh, the next day, I apparently own... a a website address and what was a Tumblr account at the time and Twitter and Instagram all under this name, which I'm still, I have a funny relationship. I have a bit of a love hate relationship with the name. Um, 
I don't know why. We thought it was really catchy after a few drinks. We were like, because it's like Comic Con, but it's Comic On. And it was, I'm stuck with it now. I will live with it till my dying day. And it'll probably be on my tombstone, but a bit of a weird relationship with it. So we kind of just randomly cobbled this thing together the next day and did it. I did I did a bit of writing about comic books. I think at the time I was reading the the Batman 66 comic book because it was when the licensing had just gone back over to kind of DC from uh, Fox or whoever owned the 66 series. You know, and we finally got the, to the point where we could buy it on home video and they could make merch for it. So I'm pretty sure that was one of the only real things I talked about. Didn't really do very much in terms of social media with it. Did that for a few months and then just naturally waned from it a little bit because I was just like, what What am I doing this for? Do I really think that something will ever kind of come of it? So I went away from it for a little while and I don't know what it was that brought me back to it, but it was less than a year that I was away from it. But something made me go, do you know what? Maybe I should sort of try and do something with this. So I came back to it, took it off the whole Tumblr thing, took it to WordPress, kind of made it more of its own entity, sort of had a little bit of fun with doing, trying to do some graphics by myself and stuff. Cause I, I so uh, at college I did BTEC multimedia rather than A-level. So I did like a bit of graphic design and a bit of film work and stuff like that. And I did a, I did a film degree and a script writing masters before I got into uh, my day job, which is NHS work. So I kind of have a bit of an arty background and every now and then I do have a bit of an itch to scratch. I'm like, I'd like to do something creative. So sort of came back to it, made it its own thing really quietly I wasn't making a big deal of it I wasn't sort of advertising it anywhere but I was starting to use the Twitter and the Instagram and stuff a little bit more and just slowly building up a kind of a, a bulk of work that was on the website never expecting anyone to join in or anything to happen and then it just rattled on like that just really quietly building stuff up with no real aim to I want to get to a screening or I want to get sent this book or I want to get anything for free or anything like that or I you know, I never aimed to get a following. Instagram sparked at some point. I don't really know what it was that kicked that off either, but suddenly that started to pick up a following. And there's something quite sort of rewarding about that. That was like, oh, people are actually interested in what I'm saying. And then started to get to know the kind of group of people that I know now. And then 2018, so we've been going for quite a while by that point, 2018 rolls around. And one day I get home from work and I'm still kind of doing everything by myself at this point. There's not really a team of people, whereas now there's quite a few contributors. I get home from work one day and check my email and there's an email from a PR company that's like, oh, hey, Neil, we've just seen your website. We're promoting the soundtrack to Disney's uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. So Wreck-It Ralph 2. They're like, if you would be happy to post this thing about Imagine Dragons song that's on the soundtrack, then we'd love for you to come and see the film. I was like, really? Like, like, you want me to come and see? Well, okay, cool. So, so I did it, and uh, it was in the like the smallest screen at the the Cine World in Leicester Square, and there was maybe fifteen people there, of which one of them was Jonathan Ross, who sat in front of me, and even though there was like security and stuff there to make sure no one was filming it. Uh, he vaped throughout the entire film, meaning that I saw some of it, but mainly through smoke. And uh, I just, I saw this film before it was released and I was like, that's kind of cool. I didn't realise that was a thing. Like, surely only journalists get to do that kind of thing where they get invited to stuff. And I was like, but that's kind of cool. And then that sort of piqued my interest a little bit. And I was like, I wonder how I would actually go about 
getting further into this. And I knew a couple of people who'd been to screenings, particularly in the kind of Warner Brothers DC comic side. So Paul from DC World was one of the first people I got to know. And when I'd been at San Diego, so I'd been to San Diego that year, and he he said to me like, oh, can you bring me some stuff back? Which I did. And uh, so he sent me some swag in return, which was really nice of him. And then I'd met him at MCM Comic Con that summer. And so I said to him like, okay, you get to go to DC stuff. Who who do I talk to about, about that? Because that would be awesome. And he, he kind of helped me out. And I got invited to go and see uh, Aquaman at a press screening. And then things really, really snowballed from there, quite surprisingly. So that was December 2018 that that came out. And then suddenly just like my inbox just goes crazy. And even now, uh, like, so like today I emptied my, my Geico inbox at the beginning of this week. And there are now 50 emails in there, which is like, I literally just got an email saying there's new character posters that have just been released for Adam's family Two, the animated movie. Can you put these out? Um, I've been invited to see a film called black medicine. It's an Irish thriller. Uh, it's by it's, so it's got all the Brady in it. Who's, um, she plays Laris, the Romulan, uh, in Picard, and she was Peter's mum in Fringe. Uh, it's it's her, and it's some kind of slightly medically themed like thriller film that they're like, oh, it's it's screening on Tuesday. Come down and see it. And so I just now continually pinch myself and think, is this my life now? <laughs> so from like where we were back in 2012, well, I should have pointed out that while we were sitting down on the South Bank coming up with this idea, we were sat in like an abandoned circus. Like they do, they do the Wonderground thing every summer. That's like a they have like a circus of horrors and vaudeville shows and stuff that they do down on the South Bank. So we were sat in a bumper car in this like in this random I think like cider bar. So that's where it was invented, and it just feels it feels crazy to think that it's pushing ten years, but at the same time also feels like about five minutes since it all kicked off. So where we are now, like we uh, we've got we've nearly got four and a half thousand followers on Instagram, which I realise is tiny in comparison to some, but for me it's, a, it's a, I'm like really like four and a half thousand people, and over two thousand followers on uh, on Twitter. The podcast has been in the top one hundred on iTunes Entertainment Podcasts, which is just nuts. Uh, and not only in the UK, like we charted we, the other day, we charted in Austria. And we've been in the chart in, um, so we've been in the charts in France, Belgium, Australia, <laughs> so odd. And then when you look at like stats and stuff to see where people are coming to look at your stuff, like we're, ma- we're mainly UK and quite a lot of American audience. But when it comes to the podcast, there's always one listen in the, in the Virgin Islands. I'm like, I want to I go there and see who the one person is that listens every fortnight. Who is this person? <laughs> it's crazy. It's it's amazing what you could. In fact, I was saying to Martin today, we were talking about how um, quite a lot of people will get into this and have a bit of an eager about what they do, or can be a little bit precious about what they do, which I completely understand. But I don't know if it's I don't know if it's because I work in the NHS, so you know I, I see particularly in the last sort of twelve fourteen months, see how difficult things can be for people. But I I like to think that I don't really have an ego at all. So if there is a big film, so like Black Widow is a big thing at the moment, everyone's talking about, did you get invited to see it? Were you at the event last week? Have you got a screener for it? I've not heard anything. Have, have you heard from Disney? Who's talking? Who do I need to speak to about it? And there, as far as I'm concerned, if I don't get to see something like that, it's I, I'm not going to throw my toys out of the pram. I'm not going to be like, that's the end of the world. Why should I bother doing this anymore? I didn't, I didn't get Black Widow. 
Uh, I mean, I was supposed to watch it today, but Disney's had a technical error, so I'm now getting to watch it tomorrow morning. But there are people who who get so hung up on it that I'm like, you know what, to, to take a step back, like, just remember, we we have really serious day jobs and completely normal lives. And in fact, I, I call my day job like my Clark Kent job. And this is like my Superman job. And I'm just like, just enjoy it, because this is awesome. We're like, we're completely normal people who started this thing by ourselves, in most cases started something by ourselves or got involved with somebody else who'd started their own thing and you know we're helping them out with it and we're getting to walk like red carpets and interview people who we love like whose artwork we love or whose comic books we love i so gi joe snake eyes is coming out in in august so next month and i don't know for definite yet but fingers crossed it looks like i might get to interview larry hammer who is the guy who created gi joe comic books he wrote the entire run of gi joe at marvel and has been writing it at, at um, IDW as well. And he's worked on Batman for DC. He's worked on like Elektra and stuff for Marvel. And I'm like, what? Like you, 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 you are happy for for me, like literally, like little old me, to to sit with a total legend and ask him questions about his career. Yes, I'll be really nervous when I do it. But how awesome is that? You should be damn proud of yourself for the stuff that you can that you've built by you know by your own hand. First interviews for me were, were Justice League, Dark Apocalypse War, and yes, I did muck up interviewing uh, the voice actor for The Flash, and it didn't record. But like I spoke, so one of my first ever interviews was was the guy that voiced Batman in that film. I'm really awfully not going to remember his name off the top of my head right now, which is terrible. But considering Batman is like my favourite character, for my first interview that I've ever done with a famous person, to be it, the voice of Batman. I mean, he voiced Batman in most of those new 52 movies in that animated universe. Again, total pinch me moment. Like, what? I interviewed one of the amazing group of actors who got to play my favourite character in all of media ever. Like, just, I could die happy, to be honest. So what What made you start up the podcast then, you and Martin? Um, do you know what? I, th- there's kind of two things to it. One, my, my kind of film background does ping in the back of my mind every now and then that I'm like, do you know what? I just love to pick up a camera or do a bit of editing or just like not from a sort of I have this ambition that we're going to have the number one podcast on iTunes just a I wonder if I could do that and then I'll start it and I'm like well I wonder if um, I can do it better so if I invest in some slightly better quality tech or some uh, better software for editing can I make it sound like like studio quality and I so that's kind of my thing is I'm always constantly trying to just see what I can manage to do within my tiny little spare room, which has become our studio. So part of it was was just a bit of an itch to scratch to see if I could do it and if we could do it and people would listen to it. But at the same time, Martin doesn't do any writing for the for the website or anything. He uh, he's he's a nurse by background, but he is an incredibly busy guy. So he's a nurse lecturer. He, he teaches advanced kind of skills to, to qualified nurses who want to progress their career. He's also uh, speaking at conferences uh, like globally, which is just crazy. And so, I mean, he's busy and doesn't really have time to write, but I always feel bad when, like if I, so if I, I won't do any, if I'm in the office, for instance, kind of pre-COVID life, I don't, I don't interact with kind of the Geico stuff when I'm at work. 
It's all preset stuff that's written either in the morning before I leave to go to work or is stuff that the other guys have done. And we just pre-schedule all the tweets and Instagram stuff so that I don't have to be worrying about it when I'm doing the day job because the two shouldn't really cross over. And then if something major has happened while I'm at work and no one's available, when I get home, the first thing I'm going to do is jump straight on the computer and need to cover it. And so for, for a long time, as it was starting to get big, I did feel like he was becoming a bit of an, an internet widow to the fact that so much time goes into it. Because I think now that there's more people that do it, and I've got such an amazing group of people that work with me and contribute to it, but where it was still just me, and we, we are talking like pre-COVID times here, so my, my day job, I've always done eight to four, but we're talking eight to four Monday to Friday, so I'm doing like a 37 and a half hour week in London, so commuting from where we are, southeast, it takes like half an hour to get to Victoria and then another 20 minutes or so to get from there to my office. So I was kind of getting up at five in the morning, doing an hour and a half of what's happened overnight in America that needs to be covered or what do we need so that there's stuff going out on the website during the day so that people aren't like, oh, they've, they've kind of disappeared. What's happened? Maybe they're not doing this anymore. Because that was a fear early on was that people would be like, well, they've not really done anything. So maybe this isn't that serious. And I always want people to think that we're trying to keep on top of stuff. So I'd be doing a couple of hours in the morning before going to work, going to work, come back and doing maybe a couple of hours in the evening as well. And so I was easily racking up a good kind of 15, 20 hours more work on top of the day job doing this. So I was like, I need something that can kind of involve him a little bit so that he doesn't feel like I'm, I'm literally just existing at a computer constantly typing away. So and I always, I mean, if I, I'm really lucky that when we get invited to screenings, if it's me that's going and if I'm able to go, we will often have a plus one. So I do, you know, he comes with me to most stuff, uh, which is which is great because it's nice to be able to share that with someone rather than sort of being on your own. A, a lot of the stuff that's happening at the moment with cinemas only just reopening in the last few weeks, with a lot of screenings still being socially distanced, a lot of it, uh, screenings don't have plus ones. So I haven't been able to take him to everything recently, which is sad. But it was just a way of bringing him in and letting having something that I could share with him as well so that he could kind of get an insight into what it's like. And we started out, I think all of our early ones, we were talking about Titans, which is, if anyone that's listened to a podcast will know how much he loves Robin and Nightwing, so it's kind of the perfect thing for him. I mean, his Twitter handle is Wonder 1989 so what more do you need to know? I do often look forward to the... Um... You do your review of something, and then we get the Scottish review. That is one of my favourites. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's... I, quite often, uh, he will feel like, oh, I didn't do, you know, a particularly good job of that. And I'm like, no, you don't need to do a good job of it. That's why I think people think that we're really funny. Because I'll say to you, like, okay, so we just sat down and watched this freaking awesome movie. What do you think of it? Oh, it was all right. And then he's like, well, what did you think of it? And it is, I mean, sometimes I will edit myself down, but it will be like 10 minutes of, I thought the cinematography was awesome. I thought the sound design was awesome. I thought the set design was awesome. I thought this was great. He's like, yeah, I liked it. But I just, I just, that's just, that's so us. That's just, anyone that knows us will say that's just, we, it, it is just like an hour of what it's like to hear us in, in real life. The other way that I think about it is not everyone that's listening wants to hear like real granular detail on what something was like like you might just want to know if we liked it or if we didn't like it so if i think if we were both doing the same thing and going really deep critiquing like the cinematography of i don't know like the last film we watched was the tomorrow war 
that's out today on Amazon Prime, and it is it's a great film. It's a disaster movie. So when we recorded the podcast about it this weekend, I'm probably not going to go into. I mean, it is Larry Fong who was the cinematographer for most of Zack Snyder's movies, but you know, <laughs> like not necessarily. I mean, if you if you're talking about a disaster movie, people aren't necessarily looking for it to be technically awesome. They're just looking to have a good time with a disaster movie. And I, that's what I like. I think it would be it would get boring if we if we were doing the same approach, both of us. I think there was there was like this sort of turning point for me around the time that the the screenings and stuff started, where I suddenly had to kind of think, okay, I'm putting a lot into this, but I'm also starting to get some pretty cool stuff back from this so I need to kind of I had to rationalize in my head at that point like was it worth the amount of effort going forwards and was it worth the amount of time I was putting into it going forwards and at the time I felt like it was and there 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 yeah there has been kind of 18 months two year period where it has consumed a lot of stuff but we are at a point now where there's there's James who is like my right hand man who does a lot like, I can throw stuff at him and be like, look, I'm at work at the moment. Are you at home? I need you to cover this really quickly. Or, damn it, I was supposed to go to a screening tonight. Can you make it kind of thing? And he is amazing. And then there's Dave, who's joined us recently, who people will know from Twitter as Red and Blue Dave, who also does a gaming website, who, uh, when he first came on board a few months ago, he was just kind of covering films and stuff. And then I started saying to him, you know, can you do a bit of news coverage during the day? He probably regretted saying yes to that because it's like, great, do this, do this, do this, do this. And we now have a Slack channel uh, where basically everyone that contributes is a member of this Slack channel. And I will just throw up stuff on there like, okay, we've just been asked, um, can, can we review this film? Can we interview this person from this indie movie? This news has happened. These press releases have come in. Who can cover it? And I just let them all fight it out between them for who will cover it, which is which is great because it means that now something that might have taken me a couple of hours or I might have had to take a longer lunch break at work to cover something, I can just spend a minute going, can anyone do it? Great, you can. Go for it. So my time is getting better. Uh, I do, yeah, I would like a bit more of a life back. <laughs> but at the same time, the stuff that I'm now afforded that I can do because of it is also awesome. So going to a screening of an evening after work is amazing. And like I was saying before, it's those pinch me moments. So it's it is quite time consuming, but it's it's a good time consuming. I don't think I could do it if I didn't love it. Then actually, Disney are Disney are hilarious. So you know how they just added uh, the, the the whole star like subsection on Disney Plus, where like where a lot of the Fox stuff has gone. So when when that platform was launching, they sent out on their screener platform a whole bunch of the stuff that's going to be on it, new and old but they embargoed all of it. So like I got I got an email one day telling me that I'd been given the pilot of Grey's Anatomy which just finished season 17. So seven like a 17-year-old episode and it said you cannot and I think this was about a month before Disney Plus was launching that section. So it was like you can't talk about this for the next month. And I said legally am I not allowed to talk about at all in any conversation something which I did watch on TV? 16 years ago. Because that's weird. Because, why would anyone care about spoilers for something that's 16 years old? But then I guess there will be people that will discover this stuff on streaming. But it's like, it's 
is that really like I'm sort of legally bound by that. <laughs> I can't. If someone randomly, like, so my boss loves Grey's Anatomy. Like, if she starts talking to me about season one, do I have to say, I can't talk to you about this? <laughs> I'm legally obliged not to talk to you about this. I feel bad sometimes that we get to do that stuff and that there's bits that we can't share or bits that I can't share with everyone that contributes to the website as well. Like, so James is a huge Transformers fan. He's got a Decepticon logo tattooed on the side of his leg. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I can't, like, I can't share the link with you for you to be able to see it. And it's just like, I, I'm sorry, but like, I share as much as I can, but some stuff you just can't. And there are times where there'll be something big that'll come in that I will give to other people because I don't like to be one of those people that hog everything. Like, it might be a platform that I started, but that doesn't mean that everything should be for me. Like, I don't take all the free stuff if we get sent anything. I don't take all the big films for myself because it's my platform. I will share stuff out. Because it's only, it's only fair. People are working really hard to contribute towards this thing as much as I am. So I got an, I got an email today, which I think I'm allowed to say. Um, I've been invited to attend a virtual press conference for the Suicide Squad. Uh, and I like honestly, like so the email, I, my eyes had already lit up at the at the title of the email, and then I read the email and it was like, <gasps> so it was like it was just entitled the Suicide Squad press conference invitation. I'm like yes, yes. I, in fact, I emailed before I'd even, I replied to the email before I would even read it and just said whatever it is, the answer is yes. Uh, and then it's like virtual press conference going to be on this day on Zoom, and then it's like, participating talent, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Margot Robbie, and I'm like, uh-huh, 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 Nathan Fillion, Michael Rooker, Jai Courtney, James Gunn, Sylvester Stallone, I didn't even read that earlier, I'm like, yeah, okay, and then that's one of those moments where you, like, I reply, and I'm like, yes, 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 and then I go, did I, like, I, got, I actually got invited to that. Is, is this a prank? <laughs> Exactly. That is. That's. I say that a lot. Is this a prank? If it, especially when it's if it comes from Warner Brothers and it mentions DC, I'm going to say, is this a prank? I can't. I, I don't know what's going to happen when the Batman releases next year. Like, I I feel sorry for my contact at Warner Brothers because <laughs> I think it's due out in March. So if it's due out in March, she's probably going to start hearing from me in December saying, is there any interviews? Any interviews for this? Is there a press conference? Is there any interviews? Is there, is there a premiere? What are the screenings for this? Is there an event? Can I do anything? Can I help? Can I, can I, can I, can I, can, is there anything I can do? That's the thing at the end of the day. I think you have to, and that's like I was saying about trying to not have any ego about it and not, FOMO is a terrible thing and I see a lot of it around, particularly as cinemas reopened because over the last sort of 14, 15 months, so the, the way it seems to work is when there's anything is being released that's going to the cinema, if there's going to be a screening, that screening is going to be in London. And there might be there might be like a handful of them. So the way the DC films work, there'll be a premiere, of which we don't tend to get invited to the premiere. That tends to be the influencers. I hate that word, by the way. Um, but that tends to be the sort of the influencers. And I, I do, I have recently signed an influencer contract with Warner Brothers. Um, I don't really know if it means anything. I don't, but I really don't like that word. Like, I understand that what I do has influence, but I don't wish to be an influencer, if that makes sense. But so, so they'll have like a, they'll have a premiere, which they'll invite more of the sort of face personalities rather than the like voice or writing personalities. Um, and then there'll be like two or three press screenings. And we always tend to get to go to the press screening. 
and that's the way that just seems to be the way it works and i just accept it for what it is because i'm just i'm just i'm just a mere mortal observing it but then when covid hit and the cinemas all obviously closed down i mean there weren't a huge number of films that released but those that did release in that period they would obviously send it to you to watch at home and that's meant that lots of people who don't live in london of which i count myself very lucky that i do live here have suddenly been able to do more than they could before like it's like we have an amazing relationship with shudder i don't even have to ask shudder about films i i've had two drop in just today that they sent me screeners of that coming up because we've done a lot of work with them and i do love horror and so they they literally they're like okay there's something coming send it to neil send it to neil send it to neil uh, but and there's lots of people that will cover stuff like that but there are lots of people who want to cover like the black widows and the suicide squads and stuff but they don't live in london so I, I've got uh, this really nice guy that works for me who's quite new called Charlie, uh, Charlie McGiven, and he's awesome. But he lives quite, you know, he's up, I think, Manchester-ish. So, and he's, you know, he's 18, 19, so he's still in school, still studying. He can't afford to come to London every time there's a screening. And yet during COVID, he's had some awesome opportunities because it's been sent to you at home. But the minute the cinema's reopened, they stopped doing that and it's gone straight back to London only. And so the next discourse following the whole Wonder Woman 84 thing is, well, you could send us it at home when the cinema wasn't open, but now the cinemas are open. Why, why can't we get it? Why can't we still get screeners of stuff? Why do we now have to go back to trying to find time and money to travel to London to see your film? But I just count myself incredibly lucky that I'm in the position I am where I am because I can... I can get to a, I can go to a, I can go to a screening and be home forty minutes later. So I went to, I went to the, the, the so-called premiere of Fast Nine the other day. There was, there was no sort of celebrities or anything at it, but they called it the UK premiere. And I, I you know, I was home by half past nine. <laughs> like it's great, but I just have to, you know, I just have to count myself lucky that I'm in the position I am and where I am. I don't know in Edinburgh, for instance, if we were still living there. I mean, I wouldn't be doing any of the stuff I'm doing now, particularly in terms of the big films. But, you know, you probably get so much more engagement from people doing similar stuff to what we do who are living up north if they, if you just sent it to them at home because they're willing to watch this stuff at home. Do you know what? It could all end tomorrow. I could go to that Suicide Squad press conference and I could never get another invite to anything from anyone ever again for whatever reason. They might suddenly decide that, do you know what? There's too many people doing what we do. And so it's not, you know, we need to start putting in some kind of checks in place. There needs to be some sort of level of listeners or followers where we can send stuff to these people and it might disappear. But if it does, I'll just be incredibly grateful for what I've experienced. The The weird thing for me was um, the those first that first Aquaman screening and the, the, the Ralph Breaks the Internet, which, I mean, was my first screening of all screenings, but it's maybe not going to be a film that will, will last with me for a long time. But that, that all literally happened within a couple of months after my mum passed away. She, um, she had a very, very short, sharp, horrible bout with cancer, which is ironic given that I work in a cancer hospital. Um, but that, that all, literally, like, she passed away and we went to San Diego Comic-Con, like, three weeks later because it had been booked for ages. And she'd always, the whole time she was ill, she was just like, look, there's, there is literally no way if something happens that you're not going on holiday, you are going on that holiday. Uh, 
but then the whole thing kind of kicked off in terms of the getting to the level where we're at now that really happened like right afterwards and i don't know if it's because i suddenly plowed more into it because i needed a distraction or what but it's kind of it's 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 sad that she never got to see it got to the level it, that it would because she would probably in terms of family they're all a bit like what well, i don't really know what it is that you do you were at a film premiere were you really in a film premiere whereas as much as she would probably be thinking what is it that he does she'd be like what is it that he does but i'm so proud of him so that's 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 my only kind of sad story about the whole thing is that she didn't live long enough to see it but such unfortunately is life I am, though, desperate for concert venues to open up again. I need some live music back in my life. <laughs> That's the thing that I miss so much. I, this is really sad, but when I was at... So I come from a really... I come from Shrewsbury originally, which is quite a small town, uh, where my where my mum and dad lived. Uh, is actually a, like... It's not, you can't even call it a hamlet. There isn't another house for at least a mile in any direction. So, like... I come from a tiny, like, if you look at it on Google Maps, there's, like, our house, green. <laughs> there's just nothing. So I didn't really get to interact with sort of live music and stuff until I went to uni. And then I just, I, I hit, like, gig venues hard when I went to uni. And I went to, I did my undergrad in Newport, South Wales. And then when I did my master's, I moved to Cardiff. So I was kind of... When I was 18, 19, I was knee deep in like, I don't really want to say lost profits, but lost profits at the time before, it, you know, the awkwardness of what happened there. But like bands like Bullet for My Valentine and Funeral for a Friend and stuff, I just saw all the time. And my, so my day job, I do a lot of data analysis. So I am quite sad and do love a spreadsheet. And there is actually a spreadsheet in existence of like every band I had seen when I was at uni and how many times I had seen them. And that has become a list in my phone that's like, what gigs did I go to in 2016, 2017, 2018? And then you get to like 2019 and then you get to 2020 and it's like nothing. And I just, I just want some, I need a mosh pit in my life so badly <laughs> at this point. People, it's really funny. Well, again, I say it's funny. I hope it's funny. Uh, people have this impression of me that I'm like the happiest person on earth because I'm generally always smiling and always in a fairly good mood and I will always talk to people and... I'm one of those people that I can be sat on the tube and someone that I've never met before and I don't know will tell me their biggest issue in life because apparently I just look like I can I can help. Uh, but I actually think it's because for the entire of my like, late teens and 20s and early 30s, I spent all of my time taking anything negative and putting it into a mosh pit somewhere. I'm sure that that's why I'm fairly happy-go-lucky in the rest of life is because I work it all out elsewhere. So yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, to having some live music back in line. I've always loved comics. I've always loved movies. I do a game as much as I can, but I I'm not like hardcore. I mean, I do own a PS5, and I have been. I can finally play Cyberpunk because it's back on the PlayStation Store. So I'm you know digging into that at the moment. But gaming is not is it's a it was a big love when I was younger, but I don't feel like I have as much time for it now. And my other thing is music. Music has always been huge for me always always been huge for me when I was um when I was studying film I used to always always use music for inspiration if it was a project where we needed to write something if I was if because we basically we used to be separated into groups for like each semester 
and it'd be like, this is the film that you're going to make. So what's going to be your role? And if my if my role and stuff like that was always writing, it would always be right. I need a playlist of what's going to fit my mood for what I'm trying to write. And it's just it's always underpinned kind of everything that I've done. If I'm in if I'm working from home, I've probably got headphones in or the radio on. If I'm in the office by myself, I've got the radio on. If we're all in the office together, then again, I've probably got headphones in because I'm just always listening to something. There are a few songs which I do feel like weirdly track exactly what is in my head. It's yeah. It's great. And people look at me at work like I'm I'm really odd as well because they just don't expect my music taste, which I love. It's so funny. I I work with some wonderful, wonderful people and I've been at the hospital that I work at for ten years. As of last month, I was my ten year anniversary. I've done four jobs? Yeah, four different jobs. And the first the first team that I worked with was when Martin and I had literally just moved to London. So uh, I met him when I was still at uni, but he was still at uni in Edinburgh. I moved to Edinburgh for a, for a couple of years, and then we moved to London together because he wanted to get some kind of life experience away from, from home because that, that is home for him. And, and so I started this job, completely new people. No one knows me other than my interview. They don't, they don't know me at all. And in the first couple of weeks, I think I had a, I had a gig or something that I was going to after work. It was a gig. I was going to see. Uh, I was going to see a band called Lacuna Coil. They're 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 an Italian metal band, mostly sing in English, but they do have a few songs in Italian. There's a male vocalist who who is quite screamy and aggressive, and then there is a female vocalist. Because I, as much as I love really loud music, I I love loud music that is contrasted by something quite melodic at the same time. And so I I, I must have gone to get changed or something like that. And I mean, generally a black T-shirt, probably with something printed on it that might be a band logo. Uh, is is what I wear. So I'd obviously like put taken the shirt and tie off and put on like a Slipknot t-shirt or like a Venge Sevenfold or something. And everyone looked at me like I was, I don't know, like I should be sitting on the roof of my house with a tinfoil hat waiting for the aliens to take me away. And I was just like, this is great. Everyone's like, oh, that's so weird. And I, there was once where someone clearly like properly stereotyped me for the fact that Martin and I are married. And I was going to a concert and they were like, oh, I didn't realise like, that Kylie was in town. Like, um, actually, I'm going to see Marilyn Manson. And it's like, yeah, sorry, no stereotypes here. I like comic books, I play computer games, I listen to heavy metal. That's just, that's how we roll, I'm afraid. I quite enjoy moments like that, though. It's funny. There's nothing funnier than completely upending someone's expectations. I, I do, I tell you what, I actually, I, I keep this really separate just because I don't ever want anyone to, not that I think that anyone would, this is probably really neurotic, but I never want, I would never want anyone to accuse me of not doing my day job to the best of my ability because they think that I'm way more interested in, in this. So like my my boss that I, I've known her for the entire 10 years that I've been there, but I've only been working with her as my boss for the last sort of two years, knows what I do just because we've been friends for a while, so she knows me a little bit outside work. But other than that, no one really knows all that much. They get a, like a glint every now and then. But I just don't think that people are ready to understand that you, particularly in the NHS where people do take, I mean, they have to take things seriously, but sometimes I feel like they take things almost too seriously at times when it comes to how married you should be to your work. I've always said that I... I work to live, I don't live to work. Although having said that, obviously what I do here, I kind of live to do this. But, you know, in terms of the day job, 
and so I do I do keep it separate for that reason of I I do think people would look at me slightly differently and I don't think I would be taken quite as seriously I don't have an issue with it per se I just think you know what rather than face that whole minefield let's just keep Clark Kent where he is Monday to Friday and I do this other thing but every now and then I get too excited about something so I remember we so we do like this Friday morning it's now Friday afternoon but at the time it was Friday morning meeting where our whole team would sit down together and we just kind of talk about what our week was like so it'll be like one good thing that happened one bad thing that happened uh and and my good thing was that that evening I was going to the premiere of Shazam and they what they did for Shazam was um the premiere was at the BFI down on the south bank and then the space uh like a couple of minutes further on down the bank just past where this morning used to film there's like a there's like a grassy area there and they built a fun fair to be because there's a fun fair in the film towards the end so they built a kind of a replica of it and you could go and win shazam themed prizes and stuff so i was just way too excited because i was like i'm going to the premiere of shazam and i'm going to a shazam themed fun fair with zachary levi and everyone was just like all right what shazam what what's that (laughs) isn't that the thing on your phone that tells you what a song is when you don't know what it is but at the same time, I, as far as anyone that I know outside work or people that I've known for years from uni days or even before that, I'm, I'm more than happy to be an out and proud geek in that respect. I, I, I wear that, that title very proudly. Always have done. I actually, I think it starts before I even can remember, which is quite scary. I, if I think back... So, uh, Batman 1989, so I would, I would be four that year, so I didn't see it at the cinema, because it was a 12 or a 15 at the time, and, but I can remember being bought the VHS, so clearly some, I obviously liked Batman by that point, and also my, I think it was my birthday of that year, unless it was my birthday of the following year, I can't remember exactly which month of the year that film came out, um, that would be quite scary if I could remember what month it came out when I was four. Um, uh, but I remember being I remember being given an action figure for my birthday of Michael Keaton's Batman. I had a version of Michael Keaton's Batmobile and an action figure of the Joker. It wasn't Jack Nicholson's Joker from the film, but it was a, a Joker film uh, figure. So clearly, by the age of sort of four or five, I had developed quite a quite a love for the character. If that was because that's all I remember being given, and I remember then. At the Christmas, we got a NES. I love that machine. I wish it still worked. And one of the first games that I had for that was the game of Batman 89. So I, re- I can remember watching reruns of Adam West. I can remember owning those Batman movies on video. I remember watching Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. Again, reruns, although thinking these things are new because I've not seen them before. And I can also remember, I'm pretty sure it was Channel 4, used to do reruns of the black and white Batman serials from the, the, what was it, 40s. And I, it used to be on at like half seven in the morning. So I would set an alarm and climb out of bed and sit in front of the TV and watch Black and White Batman. So it just, it goes way back. And that's, I suppose that's in terms of kind of the film stuff. And then my my oldest, so I've got two sisters and a brother. My oldest sister lived in London for a long, long time. She moved away. I won't take it personally, but she moved away like two months after I moved to London. Um, so I, I, I'm guessing it's like only one family member can live here at any one time. 
but she she'd been here for a long long time and she she lived just down the road from where from where I am now and I came to stay when I was maybe six or seven and I'd I'm pretty sure by that point I'd been reading some like learn to read with Batman comics that were uh, in the style of the animated series from 92 so the the, the Bruce Tim style characters but when I was here, we went to a, a newsagent and I ended up picking up a, a Batman comic that was adult, very adult. It was like a there were vampires, there was there was a lot of blood, there was a lot of violence, and it was it was my first kind of exposure to a grown up comic, and I was like, whoa, this is awesome. And so that's where that's where that kind of kicked off. I think it's just it's been it's been there for as long as I genuinely as long as I can remember. I suppose the first Batman film I would have gotten to see in the cinema would have been Batman Forever. So Batman Forever was 95, so I would have been 10, and that's finally when it fell to like a PG. That was the first Batman film that was in the cinema that I could go watch. Uh, other than that, it was all just watching stuff at home. And I did drift away from it for a while. I never drifted away from the movies or TV series or games, really. But I did drift away from reading comics for a while. So, like I was saying, I come from a really, really small town. There was a comic book shop, and uh, I wish I could remember what it was called. It was actually something like Forbidden Planet, but it wasn't. But it was like a rip on that, and I just wondered if they went, oh, there's a big company in London called Forbidden Planet. We'll call ourselves, like, Bard Solar System. Um, or some, like some really, like, shanky rip-off. But it was it was pretty cool and i used to, once i discovered that i did used to pick up some comics from there when i was quite young i used to read star trek the next generation comics which i i still have them and at the time i never clocked that they were published by dc i'm like oh my god i love star trek and i love dc comics my two favorite things were literally like together at some point in my lifetime so they so they existed but they they i don't know what it was but they used to move a lot between stores or they close and disappear and then they'd reopen somewhere else and you couldn't reliably read any series ongoing. It would always be like a. I've there's a. I remember there was a. I don't know what year it was. I'd say like two thousand two thousand and one. After I drifted away a little bit and tried to come back to it when they'd reopened, there was a Spider-Man Black Cat miniseries that was only six issues, and I think the store carried like one, two, three, five, and not four and six. And it's like. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure that's what made me drift away from comics a bit because it was like, okay, the internet, you know, stuff like ordering online, ordering from Amazon or being able to subscribe online or digital comics were like totally not a thing yet. So it was like, okay, I haven't really got the means. And then when I went to uni and I moved to Newport, there was a Forbidden Planet in Cardiff. So I picked things back up when I was at uni. And then when I graduated from my undergrad and started my master's, I kind of got my first office job. So that was the first like the first time in life I had a proper wage coming in. And I was like, ooh, the first thing I'm going to do is get a comic book subscription. So I, at the time, you used to, uh, the way Forbidden Planet worked was you had to subscribe to, I think, something like four titles. So it was like, I'm going to get Batman. I'm going to get Detective Comics. There was another Batman title. And then I read some like supernatural tie-in to the TV series. And that was, I started my subscription then. And that ran all the way so that would have been like 2006 7 i started that ran all the way to 2018 i think was when i made the really difficult decision to stop reading paper and go digital just because like we live in london we're not minted <laughs> we don't have miles of space 
we can't like literally for for a while it was like every cupboard you opened like comics would just fall out and it was like hey like something needs to change so now i've been digital for the last sort of two three years so all the all of the the weekly stuff is boarded and backed and you know in a plastic bag and in a nice box where it is sort of still filling cupboards but it's there and then all of the graphic novels are just what is the backdrop for whenever I do a video and stuff for anything for Geico social media? It just sits behind me in the office, like even just on the shelves behind me. I know that there's there's two copies of Batman Mad Love, one of which I've owned for years, and another one that I bought at San Diego Comic Con because I suddenly realised that I was stood next to Bruce Tim who wrote it. I was like, uh, uh, damn it! I need the man to sign like his his first comic book where the hell is it and I ended up buying another copy knowing I had it at home just because I was like I need it and I need it signed but it just sits on the shelf and I think mm, I should probably do something with that it should probably be somewhere safe because some, one day someone will come over and go oh, I've never read that can I borrow it and I'll be like yeah 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 sure uh, <laughs> did I just lend out my signed copy so what do you think was it at that young age that hooked you onto it I wish I knew the answer to that question. I really wish I knew the answer to that question. I've often wondered about it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? It's actually just sprung to mind. I, I can remember, and I don't know how old I would be when this happened, but I can remember going on holiday with the whole family to France. Again, I'm going to say I'm like four, five, maybe. And it was in summer. And I can remember that the place where we were staying was just surrounded by bats at night. There would be bats flying around everywhere. And I can remember being totally obsessed with bats. I, I think I've just always had a weird affinity for bats. I, it's very odd. There's just something about the character. And when it, I guess when it kind of comes to my, if I look at the stuff that I've engaged with most in comic books, I do tend to gravitate towards the slightly darker, more vigilante type characters. Like when it comes to Marvel, I love Daredevil. So there's there's a definite kind of swing towards that type of character rather than like for a long time I didn't really like Superman I didn't dislike Superman but I didn't get him I'm like well he just yeah his planet blew up but like he just landed here and our son gave him superpowers that's not very exciting like look at what happened to Batman his parents got murdered and he self-made himself into what he is now. Um, which I, I suppose that's a bit of a thing, really, is self-making the platform that you have. Uh, so I just, I think it's always been stuff like that. And then I guess partly, probably, conditioning of the era that I I was born in, because Batman was so huge in 89 and then 92 with Batman Returns, 92 also being the year of Batman the Animated Series, he was probably the most prolific of the DC heroes at the time. And then I, you know, I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I was around perfectly for... The, the TV series, same with like Transformers, all those classic things that we grew up on that are now kind of still around in some respect. I think I just, I was, I think I was born at the perfect time to, to be a geek. I've just, I literally just in the last week, I've gone back to watching the, the Transformers series from the 80s, right, like literally right back to the beginning. Because I, um, I, like most people, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the movies. I do think, I, I like, I really enjoy them, but I always want a little bit more from them. But I got really, really lucky last week. I got invited by Paramount to go to a virtual production kickoff press conference for the new movie that just started filming. So it was, 
it was this really cool event. Like, so they, they reached out and it was this really random email that was like, hey, Neil, do you like Transformers? That, like, that's like, that's it. That's all it says. To which I reply with like, fuck yes, do I like Transformers? I love Transformers. Uh, and then they came back and said, okay, so we have this thing. It's going to be happening in a couple of weeks. We'd like to put your name forward as one of the, of one of the UK outlets to represent it. Um, but you can't tell anyone about it. So like, there's an NDA around even being told that there's a thing that I might get to go to, but I might not get to go to. So then I have to do like application form. You tell them like how many followers you've got, how many people listen to your podcast, how many people are looking at your website. And then they came back and they were like, okay, yeah, we're putting you forwards. It's this, it's this new Transformers movie. The new director's going to be there. The producer's going to be there. The new cast is going to be there. It's virtual. I got confirmed to go. And it was this really, it was like playing in The Sims. So I had to log in to like, I had to build a virtual avatar with my face on it, which walked around like a 3D build of the Paramount lot in California. So like we were walking around the entrance hall and everyone, like all the other journalists that were there had their little avatars and we could all talk to each other on audio chat. And like the, the, the Paramount Studios team are like, hey, Neil, it's Neil from the UK. How are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm actually eating my dinner right now. I'm glad you can't see me. Uh, but this is this is kind of cool. And then apparently the, the screening room that's at their L.A. studio is where they've shown lots of like classic Paramount movies that have won Oscars. It's been there since the studio was founded and they've rebuilt it virtually. So we, we virtually walk in and take a seat in the auditorium and then the curtains pull back and there's a screen, which then is basically like you and I talking now is like a live video stream of a host and the director and the producer and the cast. And they tell us all about the new movie and it kind of it reignited a Transformers fan inside me because they were talking about it with so much love for the cartoon and the toys that I was like, okay, I feel like this group of people gets it. And this is the most excited I've been about a Transformers movie since the first one. So it's made me go back and start rewatching it. And I'm loving it. So good. It's just, it's great. I'm like, I, I, you know, I might be in my mid thirties, but I still love a good cartoon. I am I'm rewatching the classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well at the moment, which is also just awesome to go back to. I, so there was a lot of genre TV from my teenage days, which I still love. And that was probably, I think that's why I always kind of, even when I gravitated away, always still ended up coming back because even when I wasn't reading comics, the stuff that I was watching was lend, would easily lend itself to comic book forms. It's really funny. I, I am loving listening to Jack and Tony talk about Buffy. It's, it's amazing. Love that podcast. Uh, but it reminded me that the first time I ever saw a, so uh, it was on BBC Two, or it was on Sky One. It used to be on Sky One first, and then it was slightly behind on BBC. And I can remember seeing a promo for it on on Sky around the time that Series One was on. And I just remember laughing and being like, "What the hell is this? This must be awful." And then watching it and being like, "I love this program. This is like the greatest thing ever." And it's one of those things. And this was the kind of this was the conversation that we were having about their new episode was. It's the kind of program that you can go back to at different times in life and it means different things to you. So I was really similarly aged to the characters when I got into it. So I felt like I grew up with them. And the stuff that was happening in that show really, really felt like it was a perfect analogy for what I was kind of growing up and going through. And then 
I now look back on it and I'm like, wow, okay, I was really in a difficult headspace when that season was on because I really remember feeling like I I, I identified with what was, what the characters were going through. And it was the year that um, Buffy had died and was resurrected and she was struggling with just being alive and being an adult. And I look back on it now and think, God, I must have had a really difficult year because that, that genuinely meant a lot to me at the time that they represented how I was feeling in the show. And yet now I look at it and I think I feel like how she is at the end where she's like, I, I own my, I own my power and I know who I am. So I just, I always loved shows like that. And that's TV was a big thing. Like if I, if I had finished my degree and my master's and actually gotten into the the industry, I probably would be working. And it's really bad to say in shows like Joss Whedon made. I mean, we can't really say his name anymore because of the things that have come to light, but he was someone who I looked up to in terms of the things that he created around that time and that's what I sort of aspired to to be in that respect but I was I was nowhere near a person that was able to do that at the time like if I if I had the confidence and sort of self-worth that I have now back then I'd probably be in a very different position now but I probably wouldn't be talking to you and I probably wouldn't have this amazing life that I have now so kind of yeah is what it is but shows like Buffy well, uh, I did enjoy Angel, although I feel like that is a bit weird towards the end. What came after it? What was that show that Eliza Dushku did after she was Faith? True Calling. Ter- uh, it lasted like one season and a bit where she worked in a morgue and the bodies would say like, help me. And then she'd zip back in time 24 hours and have to save the person's life. Stuff like that. I just, I, I'm the kind of person that will really, like I can watch the worst TV programme you can possibly imagine if it's slightly sci-fi or supernatural and has a cool concept. So like Martin laughs at me because at the moment I'm three seasons into rewatching Ghost Whisperer, which is Jennifer Love Hewitt supposedly owning an antique store somewhere in a New York borough who can see ghosts and help people cross over. And it is cheesy as hell. It's so cheesy. It is literally like it's, the storylines that they come up with are just, it will be like my emo teenage son was really angry, got in an argument with me, ran off, got stung by a bee and died of an anaphylactic shock and now won't cross over. But I just like, but the concept is so cool. Like it could be so dark and creepy. Like the things that she could see, cause she can see ghosts that might happen. And I know it doesn't happen cause I've seen the whole show, but I still rewatch it. And I'm like, at one point something cool might happen in this concept. And so I kind of I'm a sucker for stuff like that. If it's got a if it's got a ghost in it, if it's got a vampire in it, or demons in it, or aliens in it, or superpowers, then I'm probably going to watch it, and I will find something to like in it. Actually, do you know what I remember? Really early after starting this website, someone criticising me because I don't often give a, a negative review. But I'm always of the mind that anything, be it film, TV, comic book, or whatever, no one. No one sets out to make something bad. Like, if you look at, dare I say, like Suicide Squad, I'm not going to go like, I'm not going to go Justice League. Let's not, let's not tempt the Zack Snyder fans. But if you look at like Suicide Squad, people don't really like that film. I mean, it well documented that it was re-edited and reshoots and all that stuff. But David Ayer and Warner Brothers and all the people, you know, Margot Robbie, everyone, Jared Leto, people don't like his Joker, but none of those people went into that to make something bad. They went into it wanting to make the best thing that they could. So as far as I'm concerned, when I'm critiquing, I might say, you know what, this wasn't for me. 
but I will say it wasn't for me. However, this person did a really good job in their role, or I felt like the story was well written, or the CGI was great. Don't I don't yeah. I I, can, I understand, you know, why negative reviews exist, but come on, people, you know, everyone does this for the love of what they do. Not let's not shit on people for trying to do the best that they could. There's there was a really interesting situation that came up. I I. So I'm on Twitter. I use Twitter a lot, both for Geico and myself. But, you know, there are people that absolutely live and die by what's on it. And there was this really interesting set of discourse around Wonder Woman 1984. So that film came out that really brief period between lockdowns where cinemas were open. So I did get to go to an actual screening of it, like a press screening of it. Uh, And it was obviously socially distanced. There were less people there. And what came out from those reviews were really positive opinions of the film. And it, you know, it had a really high score on Rotten Tomatoes, which I don't understand why people put so much stock into Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I have friends that will go, I'm really interested in this film. I love the trailer, but it hasn't got a very good score, so I'm not going to see it. And I'm like, go see it. Enjoy, like, enjoy art for yourself, not for what someone else says about it, which is ironic given that I review stuff, but you know what I mean. Um, but it, it, so with Wonder Woman 1984, there was a hugely positive reaction from, from those of us that got to see it. And then it came out and lots of the reviewers, particularly in America where cinemas were completely shut and I don't think there were screenings, um, were really negative about it. And the score fell really, really hard in terms of Rotten Tomatoes. And it, and it fell into, I think it might still be rotten. I don't know. It's somewhere around the sort of 50% having been in the, the 70s and 80s. And it, it suddenly put this huge divide in the industry of people that do film reviews. And suddenly all of these people that take, that, I mean, are in paid review jobs and work at, at big name kind of outlets Uh, again, particularly in America, were suddenly being really cruel to people. None of of it ever came at me, but people like me, who were in positions like me, who were fans who started a platform. And it it was this case of, well, there was kind of two ways of looking at it. One was, well, Warner Brothers only invited people who they knew would give it a good review to see it, to sort of control the narrative in the press until the film was out. And then the other side of it was what makes you think you could be a film critic? And they were, I forget the, I forget the person. There was one particular person on Twitter, and I forget, I've, well, I mean, the guy means absolutely nothing to me, but I forget his name and I forget which outlet he worked for, but it was fairly highbrow. And he really went for it. Like, he was really like, people who, people, again, like me, don't know what they're talking about, don't belong, shouldn't be invited. They're being used by the studios to try and help the studio make money. And it's like, wow. Just don't take it so seriously. Like, if I'm Warner Brothers and I want people to come and see my film, of course I'm probably going to invite fan... I quite like the term fan journalist. I think that's quite nice. Um, I'm obviously going to invite fan journalists to see something because I know that they're going to help us promote it. I guess it does slightly control the narrative in terms of is this a good film or not. But, hey, it's subjective at the end of the day. If you're going to enjoy it, you're going to enjoy it. I'm not going to apologise for the fact that I thought that that film in particular was awesome. I loved that film. 
Um, it reminded me of watching Linda Carter's Wonder Woman show, so I gave it a good review. I stood by my good review. It's just interesting that it caused such a divide and that that now exists, that there are so many people doing what we do, that people who've been doing it for years who are in a sort of higher position and it is their, it's their only job, not a side job, really, really look down on what we, what we do. I've never really come across it firsthand. I've had, I've had two sort of random incidents at screenings. So actually, funnily enough, they were both premieres that we didn't know were premieres. So you will get an email from a PR company or from someone that's representative at a studio who will say to you like, oh, we are screening X film on X day. Would you like to attend? They won't tell you where it is so that you don't sort of randomly turn up and try and sneak in. So you have to, you know, you say yes, you tell them how many tickets you want and you get an official approval. And that's when you know you're on the list and they'll tell you where the venue is and stuff. Uh, but they don't often tell you when it's a premiere, which is nothing. No one warns you when you get into this that you may end up on a red carpet somewhere and you won't know about it until you get there. So it's the only time it's ever been obvious to me that I was going to end up on a carpet was when I got invited by uh, Amazon to a premiere for Star Trek Picard. I was like, well, why would I be invited to a premiere of a TV show? That's got to be a big deal. <laughs> and uh, like greatest night of my life because I, I grew up on Star Trek The Next Generation. I walked up, the it wasn't red, it was a white carpet, next to... Sir Patrick Stewart, and I was just like, oh, it's Patrick Stewart, <laughs> greatest moment of my life. Um, so uh, we, we got invited to one for uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, so not the most recent Godzilla, but the previous one, and Warner did not say it was a premiere, uh, and we turned up, and there wasn't a red carpet or anything outside, They they, they what they do is... If it's not like a, a huge Leicester Square filling premiere, they'll just like deck the lobby of the cinema right for, for doing photos and they'll have like a bit of carpet inside that's all perfectly lit where they'll do photos with the celebrities and stuff to turn up. And that particular event, there was a lot of influencers and uh, kind of like gaming YouTubers and stuff that were invited to it. And and then the, the crowd of like Strictly Love Island dancing on ice and all that stuff. But... Where and the way they work those stuff, those things is like the A-listers will have reserved seating, so there'll be there'll be rows inside the cinema that are reserved that you can't sit in, and then they'll say to everyone else, just find a seat somewhere within the screen. So we'd gone and found a seat sort of nicely in the middle, up towards the back, and I'd seen this guy while we were queuing to go in because you know we don't get to just walk in; we have to queue. Only the celebrities get to just walk in. So this guy had been lingering around the door. And he kind of said, oh, yeah, I'm on the list. And the, the PR person manning the door had said to him, oh, yeah, just join the queue. And I, can rem I remembered that he was a bit like, um, but you invited me? And I think he thought that he was, this probably sounds terrible, but I think he thought he was more important than he was. And so he didn't have an assigned seat and he wasn't allowed to just walk in. He had to stand in the queue. And he came and sat next to Martin and I. And uh, so Martin was in the middle and he was the other side. And he tried to talk to Martin. He was like, so who are you? And Martin being Martin was just like, I'm going to lean back. I will let Neil do this. So I said who we were, and he was like, oh, so how many followers do you have? And I just sort of said, well, well what do you mean? He was like, well, I, I'm a fitness YouTuber, and I don't know what his name is. He did tell me, but I, I it like instantly forgot. Um, he was like, I'm a fitness YouTuber. I've got like 12,000 subscribers. How many, how many followers do you have? So like, why am I sat next to you? And then for the entire of the film, he sat on his phone looking at himself and doing his hair. And I was just like, okay, this is weird. 
this has never happened to me before. And he was, uh, he was just so angry that he wasn't in the proper seats, that he was really fixated on how many followers everyone he was sat with had to know whether he was sat with like people at his level. But then a couple of weeks ago, we were at uh, what turned out to be the premiere of the hitman's wife's bodyguard. And there were a couple of guys sat behind us who must have been journalists. They were something in the entertainment industry, but they came in and sat down and um, they were like, oh, yeah, I'm so not interested in this film. Then why did you say yes to attending it? Uh, and they were talking about how if it got really bad, they were just going to get up and walk out and they really weren't very interested. And then the way that they'd set the cinema out, they'd put uh, posters on certain chairs and those were the chairs you couldn't sit in, but you could sit anywhere on the, the seats in between where there were posters to try and distance people out. So they sat, they came in just after us, I think, and they sat directly behind us. And then the guy leaned over and he was like, you shouldn't be sat there, which he said to me. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, you should be one seat over the other way. And I said to him, I, I, I don't think so because the seat next to Martin had a poster on it. And then there were like two more seats next to me and then a poster. So clearly it was laid out for if someone was in a slightly bigger group. Uh, I was like, I, I, I don't think I need to move. And then the person in front of us started talking as well. And it ended up with, uh, with the guy sort of saying, uh, so there was a group of women that were sat in front of us who were part of the PR team. And he sort of said to them, well, I don't really mind you because you've probably been vaccinated, but not these two. <laughs> it was like it was like a Kill Bill moment where this little thing in my head went like, wah, wah, wah. and I just turned around to him and I said, actually, we both work in the NHS. We're double vaxxed. We're fine. And the poor guy, literally, like he just went, oh, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Please just continue doing what you're doing. And I just thought, what? Okay. So these are the kind of things that no one warns you about when you get into this position. Is you might end up sat with some very like angry people who just want to be in a higher position that they're in, or who are just like, "Move! Who is this grubby person sat in front of me? <laughs> you move, please get someone. Someone move these people. I think these people should be. I don't know, like cleaning the toilets. God." But it does explain a lot of the the weird infighting there's been lately. It is weird. I try to, I'm trying to think about the way when you look at people at events like that or at conventions and stuff, the way people segregate out. It's odd, isn't it? It's it's like if you look at like a comic con, especially some of the the UK ones, because I feel like if you go to so if you, so I've been I've been so lucky to go to San Diego uh, three times. Although actually, I should probably say the mission statement that we came up with for Geico, which was let's see if we can get you into a Comic Con. I have gotten into London ones. I have never gotten into an American one as yet. That is still yet to happen. Maybe that's when I'll retire. Uh, so I've been to San Diego three times. And I've been to New York Comic Con once as well, and they are so welcoming. Like the people are like a, like everyone just gets on. And is everyone's just like let it's kind of like this conversation we're having now. It's like let's just share our passion for this geeky stuff, regardless of what it is. Like you could like TV, you could like movies, you can like whatever. We're going to talk about it. We'll compliment costumes or like whatever shirt you're wearing or whatever panel you're at. We'll have a conversation about what's going on and be like, and this is just awesome. We'll just we'll just share our love for stuff. But then you look at like a UK con, particularly something like MCM where it's movies, comics, manga, 
and you and you look at like how one hall will be like the movie stuff and the gaming stuff, and then the other hall will be purely like anime and manga, and never the twain shall meet. And I feel like there is a weird segregation with with people in this country, particularly when it comes to well, I like this thing, so I'm going to just hang out with the people that like this thing. You like your thing. I'm not going to talk to you because I don't get your thing. And I don't, I don't know what it is. We just don't seem to share quite so much, which is weird. And then you get situations like Justice League and the whole Zack Snyder thing and the idea that Snyder fans can be quite toxic. I, James, who writes for Geico, and I often talk about it at length because he's a, he's always been a quite a diehard Snyder fan. Uh, but he, he doesn't like to sort of, confront the the uglier side of that fandom whereas i made peace with justice league as the movie that it was in that same way that i won't be negative i mean i will be more negative about it now because i understand more of the circumstances but up until all the weed and stuff happened i just rationalized it as you know this is what happened with snyder that ended up with him stepping away this is the movie that we got it's not great but you know what I got to see those characters all together in live action for the first time, so I will I'll make my peace with it. But his experience, James's experience of that fandom was the the raising money for suicide charities and the good work that they did. And my experience of it was New York Comic Con, where one lone guy stood in the DC booth for the entire four days of the convention with a placard saying, release the Snyder Cut, and he would bark at people who were working in the booth and get in their face and it was like I understand that you have a a real devout love for this piece of art that you want to see but these people are trying to do their job which at the time was promote Birds of Prey so that's when New York Comic Con was on they were they had the Birds of Prey cast there as a surprise so like Margot Robbie and and, and the people were there and they'd they'd unveiled the costumes it was the first time anyone had seen the costumes and a lot of people's experience of that will be trying to look at these costumes while this guy's there just going like, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. And so I saw it from a totally different position. And at that point, that that same day, they'd, they'd gotten loads of the fans to fund one of the billboards in Times Square saying like, release the Snyder Cut for like an hour. And, but it was like an hour in the middle of the day when everyone was in the convention center. So they would, like normal people going about their normal day in Times Square would have seen it, but everyone that was sort of New York Comic Con was in the convention center. And so I I think there's a very fascinating thesis somewhere in the the psychology of fandom, particularly now in an age where you get a movement like that, which has these really like two really polar opposite types of fans involved, and the the consequence of Warner Brothers now having released that film because what does that mean does that mean that now if you put enough pressure on a studio you can get whatever you want or are you able to make peace with the fact that they corrected a wrong that happened a few years ago because it can't go on like that forever although I suppose when you think about it that's what happened to the original Star Trek when the original series was on it got canned and they they brought it back and there are I mean there are times when it has happened you know TV series sometimes will get cancelled and get shopped elsewhere and picked up because fans are so vocal. I guess Lucifer is a good recent one. Lucifer was on Fox for a couple of seasons. 
did okay but not great had a huge following and that following convinced Netflix to pick it up so it does I don't know it's weird how Justice League appears to be different sometimes I wonder whether it's because I'm so deep in this even though I'm not a diehard Snyder fan because I'm covering it and I'm writing about it and I'm in it I'm like oh actually this feels like a really big deal but if I was like Joe Bloggs down the road who maybe saw that movie when it was out theatrically but has never read a comic book and just thinks Batman's cool in the film does he even care probably not does he even know what release the Snyder Cut movement is I guess there are always going to be differences because if we were all the same then life would be quite dull (laughs) I think it's I think it's about being appreciative of things that we don't necessarily understand because I realise that even in my own world, despite the fact that I will I, you know, I will watch almost anything, listen to almost anything, read almost anything if if someone recommends it, there are things that I probably come across as really dismissive of that someone else loves. So like I believe in fact you can even hear it where I say like we've been to events and there's like some strictly come dancing people or some Love Island people. I'm so dismissive of that. And I will I will tell you now I don't watch reality TV, I think it's trash. But actually, that's not really very fair of me to say because for someone else, it probably means the same thing that Batman means to me. And that's probably it, is that actually we all just need to stop being critical of the things that maybe we don't understand and just perceive as being crap and appreciate that other people see that the way we see the things that we love so actually if we're all just a case of okay it's not for me but it's cool that you like that then maybe we'd all get on a bit better maybe that's what it is have i just solved all the problems of the world do we just have to be nice (laughs) i think i think that would be a huge step towards it and that's the I mean, you know, if if someone had maybe had just gone up to that guy at New York Comic Con and said, you know what, I would love to release the Snyder Cut, now's not the right time for it, he might have said, thank you, thank you for listening. Now I'll go and look at Harley Quinn's costume from Birds of Prey. (laughs) And we all would have gotten on a lot better. I, I doubt it, but maybe it would have been a step towards it. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe that whole movement would have not happened if Warner Brothers had said at the time, actually, hands up. We should have just paused the whole thing, let Zach deal with what was happening in his life and finished it later, rather than working to a deadline. I think being I think it just I think it does it comes down to being appreciative of all art forms, be they ones that you like or not. Neil is the brains behind GetYourComicOn.com, where you can read the latest news and reviews for all things geek culture. You can hear him and Martin fortnightly-ish on the Get Your Comic On podcast. find get your comic on at the usual social media sites and neil himself is on twitter at neil vag one l two g's
is a Super Dummy production for Fantastic Universes. Find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek. You can contact the show on Twitter at Era of Geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk. You can support the show and Fantastic Universes by joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash fantasticuniverses.